0: So what you see is that people that are not on the spiritual path keep trying to fill the soul with material things and that can become very stressful and that leads to exhaustive capitalism and we're in a state right now where we're extracting so much matter out of the world to try to fill what can only ultimately be filled with love because the soul can only be satiated by what it is and it is God love. It's God's love and it's unconditional love. Therefore, the ultimate food for the soul is any act of unconditional love. And when we're in the experience of anybody that loves us without putting conditions on us, we feel the flow of spirit. We feel the flow of love. We feel the energy of love. When our mother loves us unconditionally and fully accepts us, we feel loved and we feel
1: energized and we feel alive. Welcome to episode 267 of Living 4D with Paul Check. Today is a solo cast episode where Paul will be asking you to consider the question, are you spent? He tackles this from a very holistic perspective, looking at the spiritual, mental, emotional and physical aspects of where and how we spend and recoup our energy. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. Your opinions matter, and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. A big thank you to our premiere sponsors, Bioptimizers, Paleo Valley, and Organifi, our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures, and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products that they produce. Please check the show notes for links and details. And now here is Paul talking about, are you spent?
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check Today, our Black Friday topic is, are you spent? And I don't mean that strictly in the sense of cash. I mean that physically, emotionally, mentally, and or spiritually spent. And for those of you listening, the video is available. I have quite a comprehensive diagram written on my blackboard. So if you want to see the video and follow along, you can go to my YouTube channel and look in your show notes for the link to that if you're listening on audio. Now, This morning, it just happens, I was reading Children's Health Defense, and there was an article by Dr. Mercola, which really points right to the issues we're going to talk about today. It says, prescription drug use in U.S. hits record high of 6.3 billion. Though the figure is staggering, it appears to be getting worse for the next generation. U.S. girls born in 2019 may spend 60% of their lives on prescription drugs, while boys may spend 48%. In the story, at a glance, he gives some shocking statistics. Prescription drug use is at record highs, with about 19 prescriptions filled for every American in 2020 amounting to 6.3 billion prescriptions, and it's getting worse. Now, of course, that's a statistical analysis because I'm one of the every Americans, and I do not use and have not used any prescription drugs for as long as I can even remember. And there are others like me, fortunately. In modern medicine, drugs are designed to be taken for extended periods and often for the rest of a lifetime, which right away should make you question whether or not as a medical intervention, anything's being done. If you come to me with neck pain and I treat you effectively, you have no neck pain. If you come to me for help with a disease and we do what's called healing, then you have no disease. So we have to question whether or not this is actually a method of treatment or is it a amortized payment plan that medicates symptoms, without addressing actual causes. For those born in 2019, women can expect to take prescription drugs for 47.54 years, while men may take them for 36.84 years. By age 40, most U.S. men take prescription drugs. For women, however, this occurs by age 15. These are shocking statistics and Why I wanted to start with that is to make a point. Years ago, when I wrote my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, it was published in 2004. It took me three years to write it. While I was doing research, I looked into what the most common causes for physician visits to your doctor was. The number one cause at that time was fatigue, and I wouldn't doubt if it still is. Clearly we're getting more and more devitalized for uh, you know, a number of reasons. So today what I'm gonna do, instead of just <laughs> spilling the bad news, I'm going to share what I believe as a therapist with now 40 years of experience, share what I've observed in my career, and share what I think in each regard we can do about it. I'll try to make it as practical and applicable as possible. To orient you to my drawing here on the board and my notes, Um, we're going to look at the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, and the physical aspects of being spent. I will show you what the Christian cross means from Rudolf Steiner's perspective. I think it's actually quite interesting and obvious when you understand it. By the way, the cross is a much older symbol than Christianity, way, way older. So there's many, many meanings to the cross. If you study symbolism, I will share Steiner's conception, which is very profound. And I will show you the four quadrant model that was put out by Ken Wilber many years ago, which describes how spirit unfolds in its manifestation in four separate categories that are all part of one experience we call life. And I will show you how each of these areas is relevant to the concept of being physically, emotionally, mentally, and or spiritually spent. And I will also then tie it all together with the model that I created uh, many years ago, probably about 2005 to synthesize for students of the Czech Institute and Czech Academy, how it is that they should take all the data they gather through their initial evaluations and re-evaluations and decide what is the most important things to focus on because today many people can have 40 or 50 or even 60 things wrong with them at once, which isn't uncommon. So my practitioners can get overwhelmed as to where to start. So I developed a simplified system And I will show you each step of the way how that relates contextually to the material that we're going to cover. To begin with, Black Friday is a time, like many holidays, where people have been conditioned to spend often large sums of money. Yes, you can get good deals, but the question is, are the things that you're buying really adding vitality to your life? Are they adding wisdom or knowledge that you can use to enhance your life, or is it just more stuff? We suffer worldwide today from what's called extractive capitalism, where the reality is that all the stuff that we consume and buy is taking resources from the earth, but we are not putting any resources back into the earth at near the rate we're taking them out. Uh, in a book by, uh, by Jeremy Lent, I believe it's called The Web of Meaning, if I remember the statistic correctly, the rate he stated was 1.75 times uh, the rate of extraction relative to return. In other words, if we were extracting at a one-to-one ratio for every unit of resources we took out of the plant, we would put one back in and we would be at net zero or even but we're taking things out of the planet at 1.7 times the rate the planet can regenerate itself, which we've been doing for a very, very long time, particularly since the beginning of the industrial age. So we're, we're pretty far down the line. So as I'll show you later, we're mirroring our own behaviors, our extractive capitalistic behaviors are then damaging the planet, which then is mirrored back to us in its inability to effectively support us, which is one of the reasons that we have so much destruction and toxicity in ecosystems, which then leads to the devitalization of nature, therefore the devitalization of our food, our water, the toxicity of food, water, soil, air, which devitalizes us, which then leads us to not being nearly as conscious and in tune with the reality of the natural world we live in, which then leads us to trying to fill our void with more drugs and more stuff. And so this is a a downward uh, degenerative spiral that is going to lead to more of a catastrophe than what you already see with those drug statistics. And one of the key things I'll start off with is if you don't have enough vitality through the things such as nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and, and moving, which I call the six foundation principles, to run your core survival systems, your core uh, systems such as your digestive, your eliminative, your respiratory, your thermoregulatory, your hormonal, your limbic, emotional, etc., then you are highly susceptible to illness and disease. And fatigue is usually the first symptom that you're low on core vitality. So we wanna look at the ways that we have become spent and how we can revitalize. So to begin with, I'm gonna start with the spiritual because from a spiritual perspective, the physical world is the manifestation, the embodiment of or the crystallization of the spiritual world. The ancient alchemical principle often ascribed to thoth, is as above, so below, as below, so above. Above here means that which is metaphysical, beyond the physical, and then as above would be the spiritual realm, which is actually what Steiner says is the source of the causes of what happens in the physical realm, and then as we, as below, so above, meaning that to the degree that you're out of tune with reality or the harmony of nature or yourself, then your skewed perception is feeding back into the above because we're all in a real-time loop with the cosmos. And you you can look at the research of people like Fred Hoyle, you can look at Paul Levy's book, um, The Quantum Revelation, and there's many books showing that even from a scientific perspective. And I talk about that a lot and have some beautiful diagrams in my upcoming Spirit Jim series. So let's go to the top and begin here. First, you'll see here that I have Z-E-R-O. O is dotted with an I, capital I, and then big C. If God is unconditional love, then the only symbol you can use for that which is unconditional is zero. Zero paradoxically means no thing. It's not a thing, there's no thing there, yet because zero has no border, boundary, barrier, or definition, symbolically it's everywhere. One of the definitions given for God, for example, is a sphere whose circumference is nowhere and a center whose presence is everywhere, which is really a very good description of the symbol of zero. Now, big C is there because we have, in consciousness research, we have a lot of talk about consciousness, but really what they're talking about is what we're conscious of, such as if you do an electroencephalogram, a person's thinking, you see waves, you're seeing whatever they're thinking about or looking at or or perceiving as activity in their brain. That's what I call little C. Big C is the reference point. So the dotted circle symbolically represents non-being. In Taoism, it would be Wu Chi. Wu means not. Chi, you could say, means life. It really means steam, but without a long explanation. Chi is what is life force energy. So Wu Chi means not life. Tai Chi is the symbol that represents the creation and flow and the process of life itself. So in Arthur Young's teachings, you can read his book, The Reflexive Universe, for example. uh, He says non-being, which is here, is significance because it is aware of being. Being would be all that exists. So from the concept of the spiritual reality, the highest we can go is unconditional love, Which I symbolically represent as zero or big C because it is significant in the fact that it is aware of any phenomena which relates to anything that is moving in space or time or in wherever we have space time and movement we have the prerequisites for something you can be conscious of according to Itzhak Bentov. So When we're looking at the spiritual realm, the highest belief, the highest power in any belief system is capital G, little O, little D. Beyond that is capital G, capital O, capital D, which represents that for which there is no other prime source. You can't put any signifiers on it. And as is stated in multiple world religions, In many different places, God is equated to unconditional love, which lends itself to a paradox which we will probably talk about as we go. So, we want to remember that when I'm talking about God as big C or zero, I'm talking about that for which there is no other prime source. Any other God, such as we have three monotheistic religions Islam, Judaism, and Christianity yet they all have very different beliefs about God, they all have different rules and regulations, and they all tell you what God wants and and what commandments and dictates you've got to follow. But clearly, there's a monotheistic means one God, yet we have three religions with very different perspectives on God. So there we have a G little O little D, which is the highest power of a belief system. So... We have Allah in Islam, we have God, which is usually not spoken in Judaism because they understand the unknowability of God, yet still somehow managed to create a lot of rules and regulations based on what God wants. And then in Christianity, we have the Christian God and that conception as well. So there we have the highest power in any belief system would be their God. A little G.O.D. in the system that I teach is any being with the capable of changing, capability of changing its environment. So just so you have the terminology clear as we go. Now, when it comes to the spiritual reality, Jung, speaking of archetypes, stated that the Imago day archetype is the archetype from which all other archetypes emerge. Now, archetypes are primal patterns or original ideas. Plato really popularized the concept of archetypes with his five Platonic solids, which he said everything in the universe came from, which many scientists have actually demonstrated objective, geometrical, and mathematical proofs. But an archetype's an original idea. You can also say that archetypes are how our psyche makes meaning. Jung identified that. If you look at myths and fairy tales from around the world from so long ago that those people never could have had contact with each other, you saw the same archetypal motifs and themes repeated over and over again, such as wherever those human beings, there's always a mother, there's always a father, there's always a child. There's usually a tribe, so father, mother, child, tribe, warrior, king, queen, um, wise man, victim, villain, these are all archetypes, and Jung called the archetypal realm the objective psyche because it was the same for everybody. Without going into a long detailed expression of archetypes, the key point that I'm wanting to bring up here is that Jung showed that the imago dei image of deity archetype is that from which all other archetypes emerged and he said something quite profound regarding the Imago Dei archetype. He said it's impossible to determine whether the Imago Dei creates us or we create it. What does that mean? It's impossible to determine whether God creates us or whether we create God as an idea in our own conception. But either way, God is prime source, and since 85% of the world population claims religious affiliation, and the rest are either agnostic or atheist, what that tells us is either agnostic means I don't know, so I'm not making a decision yet, but atheist says they don't believe in God, so their higher power would become the physical matter of, or the universe itself. But as Jung said, for something to be rejected God, it must first be real. So we have a nice paradox in the atheistic conception. But spirituality as a whole is is a concept which means a progressive expansion of our connection to our surroundings or to a greater whole. So when we're talking about spirituality, we're talking about a way of relating in which the practices engaged help us connect to a progressively greater whole, the effect of which is less and less of a feeling of isolation, nihilism, separation, and more and more as part of something bigger than ourselves. Religion, by definition, means religio, which means to link back or to connect to that which you are a part of. So religio meaning... Religion, which is all about our relationship with God, which is all about source, means to connect back to what we really are or what we're really an expression of. So yoga means union, which means the same thing as religio, to link back or to connect to. So we have this long, long history of wanting to know where we came from, just like somebody who's orphaned has a deep longing to know who their parents were. So deep in the human soul is this desire to know where it came from, where do we emerge from, and that is thought by philosophers that look into these things to be the source of our perpetual quest to figure out what God is and to link back and connect to it, so that we understand who and what we really are, which is quite logical and rational, really. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast today. I've got some excellent news to share with you. The Bioptimizers Black Friday mega sale is in full swing. And guess what? It's not just one day. It's happening throughout the entire month of November. This mega deal is available only for my listeners with my code. Yes, you heard me right. It's our little secret. Now, you already know that I have unwavering trust in Bioptimizers. These guys are the real deal when it comes to improving digestion. And let's not forget their top-of-the-line magnesium. It's truly the best on the market. Plus, they back up their products with a rock-solid 365-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. And you know damn well if they were selling junk, they would never do that. They'd go broke. And I use these things every day. I only offer them to you because they work. Now is your time to fill up your shopping carts and stock up on Bioptimizers goodness. Trust me when I say this, you won't find a better Black Friday deal anywhere else, not even on the mighty Amazon. And these are not just ordinary supplements. As I said, they work, and I do use them every day. And I'm best buddies with Wade Lightheart, the co-founder of Bioptimizers, and he's a spiritual man that would never mess with people. He puts his heart and soul, as does his partner, on creating products that really work, and they do tons of research on this stuff. If you haven't listened to my podcast with Wade Lightheart, they're very good. This is the biggest discount you can get, so why not stock up while you're at it? And get some amazing early Christmas gifts for people you love. And there may even be some gifts for you with purchase that are available on my page, which is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S. That's B-I-O-P-T I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash living number four little D. That's by optimizers.com forward slash living four D with the code. Paul 10, that's little P A U L 10. This Black Friday, I challenge you to put your health at the top of the list. Instead of impulse purchases, why not focus on what really matters? Your health and that of your loved ones. Don't miss out on this mega deal for my listeners only. Head over to bioptimizers.com forward slash living number 4D and enter the code Paul10 at checkout. I promise you, you will look and feel better because you did. Lots of love, happy Black Friday shopping. When you look at all the world's great religions, some say there's five, some list as many as 12. I've studied them all quite extensively. I did all Houston Smith's uh, training on world religion, read pretty much every book he's ever published, and he was the world's uh, most highly regarded expert in world religion. But one of the things that you find is that they have very strict restrictions on almost everything. From the clothes you wear, to the music you listen to, to the length your hair can be, to um, who you marry and how long you stay married, or how you get married, to how you use your money, to the food you can eat, um, to what you can read, what you can watch. For example, movies you can or cannot watch, and the list is very, very long. So one of the issues that happens is we find ourselves pitted up against our creativity, and human beings are highly creative beings that don't like to be contained because it's our spirit that wants to explore. So to make a point, when I was doing a lot of research into vegetarianism years ago, I looked into all the world's religions I studied in my library and found out what food restrictions were on each religion. And in an article that I was writing at the time, I created a pie chart showing the restrictions of all the world religions, and I showed very clearly that should you evolve to the point of wanting to practice all the world religions so that you are not necessarily boxed in one philosophy, but wanted to do your best to follow them all, there would be literally almost nothing you could eat. You would have a very, very hard time feeding yourself because of all these restrictions. Now the more restrictions you put on somebody, the more unnatural their existence becomes and the more they wiggle at a conscious or unconscious level to get out of it. And so you also have to consider that the more restrictions there are, the more things you have to consciously think about all the time, the more tired you become and you can get what Chip and Dan Heath call in their book, Switch Control Fatigue, because you're constantly having to monitor yourself and regulate and tamper down yourself. Don't drink this, don't eat that, don't, don't have sex with this person. And so you can get control fatigue and eventually you can find yourself spent because you're just exhausted of trying to control your own spirit, your own soul, which really doesn't typically like Boundaries. There are important functions to religion, such as creating virtues and values and morals, so that a society and a culture can function without destroying itself. The problem is that, (laughs) as most of you know, uh, there are clever people out there that use religions to hijack people to control their minds in order to get them to do exactly what the leaders of the religion and kings and emperors and queens and others want them to do, and so it takes quite a bit of skill and study to differentiate real religion from what I call corporate religion. Now, we can see then that we have this issue of our beliefs in God. Now, having been a therapist for 40 years now and having looked carefully into what's causing people's fatigue, illnesses, and disease, It's extremely common for me to track it back to beliefs that is limiting their ability to live fully, love fully, and be creative and truly express their soul that are based on some kind of religious ideal. So beliefs based on religious ideologies turn out to be, in my experience, the most limiting issue that people deal with. The problem is is most people don't understand the religion that they're practicing. Very, very few people do. And the best quote I've ever read in this regard comes from the Hindu philosopher, Sage Shankara, who says, no one can understand scripture until they're enlightened. And when they are enlightened, they do not need scripture. So we have a paradox because probably 99% of the people in the world that are teaching religious ideologies or scripture are far from truly being enlightened so they're just passing on the biases that were passed on to them which is a common problem in all forms of education that really leads not to learning how to think for yourself but being told what to think which keeps you unconscious because as long as you think you know the answer to something two plus two is four you don't walk around thinking about it and asking questions And if you're not observing and asking questions, then chances are you're not gonna grow and you're not gonna wonder why your life is so stressful when you keep running into the same problems over and over again, but you keep believing. By definition, belief systems are closed. So whenever you have a belief system, you now have shut off the mind's capacity to explore and ask important questions. And as we learn and grow, we ask bigger questions. And when we get programmed into a belief system, one of the reasons we start getting devitalized and ultimately end up spent is because when we stop asking questions, we stop paying attention. We go into our unconscious and we just repeat the same behaviors over and over again. And as the environment changes, we are not awake like children are. One of the reasons that teenagers have so many battles with their parents is because they're not nearly as programmed They don't have nearly as many fixed beliefs and behaviors and they're much more in touch with the changes of music, the changes of dress, the changes of attitude, the changes of perception, the changes of art, the changes of dance. So we can see that the more rigid we get in our mental structure, the more we start banging up against reality and you can only bang up against reality for so long before you become exhausted. It's just, uh, you know, one of the realities that we all face. So we we want to remember some key principles here. If God is unconditional love, then the answer is always yes. That's a paradox for a lot of people because what that means is if you want to be evil, the answer is yes. Evil is any behavior that is immoral or goes against life-affirmative practices. Evil is also anything that is oriented towards self without consideration of others. Evil is also anything that is harmful to a child. As a metaphor, if it's dangerous to a child, it's probably evil. And I don't mean that across the board. I think if you have common sense, you can understand that. Um, This is, for example, it's not good to uh, expose kids to things that their minds can't handle because it scares them. So from the perspective of, is it healthy to raise a child with exposure to things they shouldn't see, the answer is no. Therefore, doing that to a child intentionally could be considered an evil thing to do. So the key point I'm making here is that God always says yes. Why? Because unconditional love by definition cannot say no. That creates a condition. What it means is that we are all co-creating with God. For a simple way to look at this, if God is the source of all that is, which is what the word God means, that for which there is no other, then all there is here is God experiencing and exploring itself. But God, as that which is unconditional, cannot possibly know itself because to know anything is by definition a condition. And we will get to that when we get to the issue of mind. Because mind is a duality, it requires a subject-object. There has to be a a perceiver and something to perceive. If you're doing a a mathematical equation, you're the one that's the subject, and what you're writing on the paper becomes the object of your awareness. So mind always has to have a duality, but God as zero comes two stages before mind can even evolve. We have God as non-being, significance, that which is aware of being, we have being, but in being you can't know anything because God as being has no way to relate to itself. In other words, everything that is, we can call that God's body. If you were all by yourself in the middle of the emptiness of space, you would have no way to learn or to grow because there would be nobody there to relate to you just like a child could not be raised in a closet and actually grow up and have any mind because there would be nothing to relate to. So we, when we're at the level of one, the one, all that exists, we still can't have a relationship until we have a duality, which is a subject, object, or somebody relating to being or relating to unconditional love through the experience of the heart or uh, acts of love, for example. So, the point being here is that God can only be dreaming itself into existence as a means of self-reflection. In the Bible, it says man is created in God's image, which means that the qualities of God, interestingly, are inherently within us, and so we are dreaming ourselves into existence. We are dreamed into existence as is the entirety of the universe or multiverse or omniverse, whichever perspective you want to take. But within that, we are being dreamed up and we are dreaming up. Really, our perception produces reality for us. One person can be at a party, think it's the worst party ever, and right next to them is someone who's having the best time of their life. The only difference between the two is their perception. So we want to realize that one key feature of God is that God is not thinking itself into existence. It's dreaming itself into existence. And when we are asleep, we are unconscious. Therefore, we are not using our mind. You have to be conscious to use your conscious mind. In other words, to calculate or to plan, you'd have to be conscious. But just as we dream from this empty-minded state of deep sleep, God dreams itself into existence, and once God recognizes itself as the characters in a dream, or the characters within the dream recognize each other, a relationship is set up. So if God says, ah, there I am, as Paul Cech giving a podcast presentation right now, God becomes the subject, I become the object of God's love. That is what it takes to make a mind. You have to have two points of sentience. If two beings within the dream recognize each other, so my wife, Penny, is part of my dream and I'm part of hers, if all of a sudden we recognize her or each other and we begin to share energy and information, a mind is created. So the key point to remember is once we wake up in the dream, which is what real spiritual development is about, is waking up in God's dream, and then becoming conscious that you're a co-creator. So once you wake up, you become a co-creator. So one of the reasons people are so spent is because they're always being dictated to by largely patriarchal old men, father figures in the sky, or the head of some religion, or the higher up of some church, a preacher, or a pastor, telling them that they're a sinner or whatever, and that they're going to have to do this, or they're going to burn in hell, And so what you end up getting is a unhealthy, domineering, controlling relationship that usually uses a lot of leverage, guilt, and shame, which over time burns people out. The problem is if they think that's what God wants and they believe that because they've never actually grown up enough to question it and ask the big question, is it really true, and then do the work to explore it, they can find themselves becoming exhausted working against their instincts and against their natural creativity of their soul to try to fit themselves into a box that really isn't a natural thing for a creative human being to be in and that of course generates a lot of sin because they don't stay in the boxes we human beings just don't like boxes so the next thing you know you're having an affair or you're drinking alcohol when you shouldn't be or smoking pot or you're reading somebody else's religious book from another religion And in the back of your childlike mind, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning. And the next thing you know, you get yourself in so deep, you don't know how you're going to get out. And just dealing with that on a mental, emotional level can completely exhaust people. I've seen it happen countless times. The key thing here to remember is that God's dreaming all of this into existence and we are ultimately dreaming ourselves into existence. And an interesting way to look at that is Arnold Mendel identified in his research that usually something like 70% of children by the age of between five and seven, if I remember correctly, have a dream for their life, such as I'm going to be a fireman, I'm going to be a policeman, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be a doctor, and it turns out that about 70% of people based on his research actually end up becoming exactly what they dreamed up at age five to seven, which is quite an interesting statistic and 70% is a significant amount so when it looks when we look at what god is and what is creating we can say god is infinite energy and information and quantum physics and standard physics and astrophysics all basically have concluded that everything in the created universe can be boiled down to energy and information and As source, God, zero, is the infinite. So you take zero and twist it, you get an infinity, and we can come to the realization that if God is infinite energy and information, there's infinite possibilities, and that any of our beliefs about God that are constricting us... Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have moral concerns, but research into animals and insects shows that morality is inherent within the species that it's not something that we have to get from a religion. In other words, we inherently know killing other people is likely to increase the chances of us getting killed. Killing more animals than we can regenerate leaves us starving. So there's a a natural, instinctual, moral imperative built within us. As I said, many philosophers have identified that fact. So we need to remember that love is the verb of God. There's lots of nouns. God is this. God is that. God demands this or that. But love is really the verb of God. So the way to experience God is to experience love. And one of the things that makes people the most fatigued and therefore spent is that they don't feel enough love for themselves or enough love from friends, family, the world. And so... Without love, people become devitalized. Love is probably the most essential nutrient for human existence. Most people are confused about love. I've given several definitions of love in my new book series. One of them is love is consciousness, big C, becoming aware of itself, which it can only become aware of itself through experience, which was what happens in these four quadrants. And the cross, be it Christian or otherwise, is a symbol that I'll explain in a minute, which relates to how God experiences itself in time, because without time, everything would happen all at once, and there would be no way you can make meaning of it. So when we go here, we look at love as love is consciousness becoming aware of itself. Another definition I created for love, love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self and or other. Empathic means to feel. Compassionate in this regard means to understand. So love is the flow of energy and information through feeling oneself or others, understanding oneself or others. And that's a very important concept because without feeling and understanding ourselves or feeling or understanding others, then there's no meaning to life. And when people reach the point where they feel life is meaningless, That you just live a groundhog day existence, start drugging themselves to deal with the monotony and the meaninglessness of it. And that leads to exactly what I just shared with you uh, in the article from Dr. Mercola, showing that people are literally deflated and exhausted, that they're now running to doctors for drugs for almost everything, because they don't have enough connection to themselves, to nature and each other to understand how to do these things in natural, healthy ways, which is what my entire institute's teachings are about. So we take this, then, and we know that love is the verb of God, and that God is dreaming itself into existence, and that God says yes to everything because it's the only way God can know and experience itself, and since God can't die, God has no fear of death, and since we all are God and everything is God, then death is scary to us because we're so acclimatized or conditioned to this existence. Most of us don't know ourselves in any other way than through our body. Therefore, the fear of death really has a tendency to um, do two things. One, it can exhaust us, especially if we're living in ways that bring the, the, the angel of death to our doorstep, such as addictions, bad eating, obesity, diseases... Uh, you know, things that are, you know, driving dangerously, living dangerously, those things all bring death closer to you. But the other thing is without death, most of us wouldn't uh, really invest ourselves into our life. We wouldn't take it seriously enough to really live fully. So death has some beautiful functions. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex.
2: At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will help you to feel your best.
0: To try Paleo Valley's turmeric complex and save 15% on your purchase, go to paleovalley.com forward slash Little C, little H, little E, little K15. No promotion code is required. That's paleovalley.com forward slash C H E K 15. No promo code is required. Enjoy the best tumor complex in the world. Lots of love. So now in summary, we have to say: well, the f- most important thing we can do to express the truth of ourselves, this the, the, the 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 god of ourselves, a being that can change its own environment, would would be what we are. And our environment really is, is important because if we don't love our environment or like our environment, then we're not happy, and that's exhausting, and that burns us out, and we often medicate problems like that. And the first thing that I've got to do whenever I'm working with anybody that has health problems, such as chronic fatigue or being spent is I have to identify what is their dream for their life and their dream for why they've come to see me as a therapist. And if they can't give me a clear example or a clear statement of a dream that they're committed to enough to do the work of changing so that they can actually create the vitality they need to live and love fully and have their energy back, then I have to look for what I call the nightmare. So aside from what I've said, your first tip is if you're spent, you have to look carefully at what your dream is, see if it's legitimate. Is it inspiring you to participate in your own life and take care of yourself, which I'll talk more about. And if it's not, then we have to look at what our nightmare is. One of the things that Rudolf Steiner said, whenever working with people that have chronic ailments, the most important thing we can do is identify what their secret story is. In other words, what's the story they're telling themselves on the inside about their life? And that's where I get very interested in scripture and religion, because the story most people are telling themselves on the inside is a story that goes very against what their behaviors are and their expressions of themselves are, which is why they get into all the problems, because the inner story and the outer story are in conflict, which Ken Wilber calls a story gap, and the greater our story gap, the more fatigued we usually are, because we're having to maintain two realities at once, the one we project on the outside and the one we live on the inside. For example, if you project out to people that you're confident and capable, but on the inside you're very insecure, you have a very big story gap that will exhaust you, So having a clear dream and living true to it closes the story gap and identifying what your nightmare is and putting your time, energy, and resources into removing it removes where most of your life force energy is entangled and frees it so your creative agency can come alive again and that gives us vitality and freedom. So step one is what do you love enough to grow for, to become, to engage, and to change for? And if you don't know what is your nightmare and are you willing to do the work to solve that and restore your vitality and get harmony back in your life, and if you're not willing to do that and you don't have a clear dream, chances are good you will be not only on medical drugs, but you're probably going to be suffering from anxiety, then depression, and suicide is a high likelihood for people with that profile, seen it many times. Okay. So now we have to say, what is the mind? Well, Dan Siegel, MD, defines mind as an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. So pay close attention to that definition, an embodied, your mind, you experience in your body, through your brain, and the rest of your body. The mind is an embodied and relational, you can say, I am thinking about, so you're in relationship with your own mind, or I am talking to you guys right now, so I'm in relationship with you, process something that's unfolding in time that regulates the flow of energy and information, the two things that create everything in the known universe or existence. So if we are not embodied, we will have a hard time with our mind, If we are not happy and healthy in our relationships, our mind will probably be quite a source of stress for us. And if we're not effectively regulating the flow of energy and information, it usually means that we don't have a clearly stated dream and we don't have values, which I classify into four key categories. So in my system, one love, what do you you love enough to grow for and change for? Two forces, the male and the female, are Lack of vitality comes from an imbalance between the male and the female. What choices are we willing to make, the optimal, the suboptimal, or do nothing, which we can talk about more later, and then four doctors. Dr. Happiness is the chief doctor of being clear on what is happy-making for you and doing it with enough regularity to know how to create happiness for yourself so you're not always depending on someone else or some drug to make you happy. And then Dr. Happy, in order to have well-being, must have values for how much and what type of movement is necessary to keep healthy, what quality of food and what proportions and types of food is best for my unique body plan, and what am I going to do regarding my values around rest, how much do I sleep, when do I go to bed, how much time do I take off from work each week, day, month, year, and... Where do I put some time for spiritual development or introspection, self-reflection, so that I can look honestly at myself, my choices, beliefs, and behaviors, and ask, are they serving my dream and my dream team relationships? Because no worthy dream can be built by yourself. So we're always in relationships with regard to what we're creating in life and really relationships are love. Love is the foundation of all relationships. Love is the basis of mind. Love is the connection to something or someone else. So mind being that which is a flow of energy and information between two points of sentience or consciousness is a relationship which is by definition love. So love and mind are uh, inherently products of each other mind may not have a lot of love in it, but love creates mind because without relationship, there's no way to have mind. So we need to see the parallels and the correlations between those two because if we don't understand those key relationships, if we don't understand love, we will get burned out in relationships with ourself and others. If we don't understand mind, we will never know how to use our mind to create what we want. We won't be able to dream effectively And even if we do dream without our mind, it takes a mind to enact the plan of building our dreams. And building our dreams is what we're doing as agents of God consciousness, because we're here to create, we're here to experience, we're here to live, and we're here to share what we experience with source, which is aware of everything, because it is beyond duality, therefore it's significant. It's aware of everything within itself, and just like you're aware of when your knee hurts or when you've got gas pain, God, that which for which there is no other, is aware of everything happening within itself, which just happens to be existence itself. Most people's lack of um, creativity, lack of depth, makes God a really hard thing because it's very hard for the human being to imagine something with infinite energy, infinite power, infinite information, infinite processing speed, infinite creativity, uh, etc. So we tend to fall into beliefs in books, and this is why it is so important for us to have our own religious experiences. When we start memorizing scriptures and do this and don't do that, we are actually just memorizing what somebody else wrote on a piece of paper and calling it the Word of God, which is extremely dangerous. It might be the Word of God for them, but the truth is, does it work for you? Well, your life will be mirroring that back to you all the time and look at the fact that the number one cause of war is differences in religious ideology. So we, we really need to be aware that memorizing Scripture and thinking that as God is no different than photocopying somebody else's art and believing that it's your art. If you want it to be your art, then you have to come up with something novel, paint it or draw it, and then you having an experience, and that's what the spiritual life is about, is experiencing love and experiencing relationships and exploring that and learning from it so you can identify what ultimately creates more love and more vitality and more connection and relationships and therefore more meaning. And when we live that type of life, which is why spirituality is becoming so popular and religions beginning to dwindle, then we are naturally engaged and naturally alive because every day is a new day to experience and create more love and grow in relationships together. And I think that's what the world needs now before we not only burn each other up, but we burn the planet out, which we're getting too close to, okay? So, then when we look at mind, you can see the symbol here, the Tai Chi symbol is also a symbol for mind. You have the feminine yin here, which is normally black, yang, which is normally white. They each create each other, so they're complementary opposites. They're not opposites, they're complementary opposites. You can't have female without male, just like you can't have up without down or north without south or in without out. So what we have, mind, is a duality, so we go from zero, the unconditional, to one, pure, an uh, an adulterated being, to a duality, that which is aware of being, which would be consciousness itself, so you have a subject-object relationship, now you have a mind, and you have something in relationship to something else. If I'm looking at my hand, I'm in relationship with my hand, even though it's part of me. But the subject in me is more than my body. It's what lives beyond, because the subject is actually uh, beyond even energy itself. We don't really have a word for that. We don't have a way to encapsulate that, other than to call it consciousness. And this is why I say God is big C, because it's aware of everything that we can be aware of. But what we're aware of is moving in a sine wave or in a fluctuation of positive and negative polarities, but it's all emanating from zero. For example, when someone's got an electrocardiogram on, you can see their heartbeat bouncing up and down on a screen, but when they die, we call it flatline. Well, God is unconditional. You can't measure God. God's the source of everything. So their heartbeat is bouncing up and down relative to zero. When they die, they merge back with zero again and become one with all that is or go into non-being, whatever your philosophy might be there. So when we're talking about mind, then we're talking about a polarity because you cannot have consciousness without polarity. Edward Edinger, famous Jungian analyst and psychiatrist, says consciousness is a psychic substance, which means it is tangibly real, produced not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. Consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly but in living awareness of opposites, in paraphrase. So that means we can't be conscious of anything without some kind of relative relationship, male relative to female, inside relative to outside, hot relative to cold, day, night, light, dark, etc. And we also there have good and evil. And right in the Christian Bible, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I create the light and the dark good and evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. Why? Because God cannot know itself without these polarities. So it dreams itself into existence and creates conditions, which is mind and relativity, so that it can love itself unconditionally and come to know itself, because that which is unconditional cannot know itself without conditions, And to the degree that those conditions are too confining, we're having an experience, but it is often an experience that devitalizes us because we feel too stifled and choked by it, okay? So with mind, as I said, there's a relationship to love because love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection. To understand something requires mind. You have to have a lover and a beloved. That's two, you have to have a subject, the lover, an object, the beloved, so you see love and mind are like mirror images of each other. And within there, we have the feminine principle and the masculine principle. The feminine principle we can symbolize as a circle, and the masculine, and as eros, as a line or an arrow, and and Mark Gaffney does a great job of expressing this. I've got a couple of great podcasts with him you can look, look into. He's got some great books. Eros is the expression of love of God in the masculine. Eros wants to penetrate and create novelty. Penetrate and create novelty. Most men that have enough testosterone in them to be healthy know that they're very attracted archetypally to the female form, and their urge at the biological instinctual level is to penetrate and create novelty. No matter how many children a man has, even with the same woman, none of them will be the same. God never does anything twice the same. Every one of our fingerprints is different. Every object, every table on close scrutiny, every rock, every grain of stand, every flower, every animal, every eye every fingernail is all unique and different. So God penetrates, creates novelty. So a key thing is if you're not penetrating, going deeper into yourself, deeper into love and relationship with your spouse, your children, your friends, your work, and creating novelty, which is the artistic function, the creative function inherent in the human soul, you're going to get tired. You're going to burn out. And you're going to be somebody that comes home from an automated type job where you're just, you know, looking at insurance papers or stamping pages or working on an assembly line or doing the same stuff over and over again. So you're not penetrating because as soon as you know how to do that, it becomes unconscious. So just like tying your shoe, you don't think think about it anymore, but you're doing it all day and it stifles your growth and it stifles God's own urge for experience to penetrate and create novelty So what people do is they start using drugs and they start gambling and they start video gaming and doing anything to penetrate and create novelty, to create a world outside of the world that they live in, in flatland. So that's what Ken Wilber calls flatland, living in this kind of mundane existence where you're not really um, doing anything that inspires growth or creativity which leads to a lot of drugging. And as Mercola pointed out, we've got a lot of drugging going on and we have huge issues with the abuse of recreational drugs as well. So at the level of mind, we have Eros and Agape. Agape is the feminine version of love. As a circle, she wants to hold the family together. She wants to hold the community together. She has a hard time letting her kids go away to college or move out of the house, but dad, the arrow wants to kick him out. The man wants to go out, penetrate, go further into nature, go hunting, have novel experiences, but she wants to keep everything together to support life. So agape love is the nurturing love that holds what is created together, and eros is the love of penetration and novelty But just to be clear, women have Eros in them as well. Women love to penetrate and create novelty. Women are great thinkers, great inventors, great creators. Uh, So don't make the mistake of thinking that a man is only Eros and a woman's only Agape because we have these qualities within us because we have both qualities of mind in us. We have all the qualities of love in us and we have all the qualities of source or God in us. Um, And if you're a materialist, then we... (laughs) We have lots of matter in us, too, but you have to ask yourself, where did that matter come from? What forms it? And we have to remember the fact, as the alchemist described many, 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 many years ago, like thousands, that matter is passive. Earth, the earth element, and the water element are passive. There has to be some kind of agent to move them, so the question I ask, is how long would you have to stand next to a pile of rocks before a Rolex watch jumped out or a toaster oven or a car? Well, (laughs) you know, an infinite amount of time because it takes creative agency. So whatever it is that makes us and makes things has creative agency and matter cannot do that by itself. So the point I'm making is whatever God is, has the creative agency to form matter and inform matter, such as bodies and places and things. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. I thought I'd take a minute to sing you a little song. Dr. Quiet, she is, you know how she loves to bring energy in. She teaches you how to rest, so your energy is always at its best. Hey! And I want to tell you a little secret. You know how I support Dr. Quiet? I use Organifi Gold and it does some magic to help you sleep deeper and restore better so you can get up and be a freedom fighter first thing in the morning and all through the day. And I got Drew Canoli, who created the product right here, right now to tell us why it works so well. Drew, what's so unique about Organifi Gold except the fact that my kids won't stop asking for it? I love the song. Thank you. And I think if we were DJing this, we would do
2: Rishi. Because Rishi, (laughs) Uh. full spectrum, eight to one, beta glucans knock you out. The queen of mushroom. Reishi is one of the most powerful things we can put in our body, especially at night. Helps restore, revitalize. Great for the liver. Yeah. So while we sleep, not only are we restoring and repairing the cells, but we're detoxing in the most effective way possible. Yes. And it doesn't have to taste bad. In fact, it could be something you crave Yeah. and that's Organifi Gold. It tastes like autumn had a baby with a marshmallow. Every time I have it, it just knocks me out. I've literally tracked it with my whoop, my aura ring, and it adds another hour to
0: an hour and a half of deep sleep. That's great. ramming deep every single night. You know what's also really cool? Rishi is a wise man. Mm. It's not only the name of a mushroom, but a Rishi is a wise man. Oh, true story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's absolutely true. I'm not pulling your
2: leg. And how much wisdom have you and I gained from
0: night school? A lot of wisdom. Yes, and you gain a lot when you can't sleep. You go, what am I doing wrong, (laughs) and how do I get it fixed (laughs) up? So, hey, you know, one time when I was visiting you at your house, you made me a gold, organifi gold as a hot tea, and I'd never realized you could make it hot. It's the best way, and I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, this is incredibly good. It tastes like dessert, Mm -hmm. but it, unlike most sweet things, if you Take sweet stuff at night. You can't sleep very well and it jacks you up. But this stuff was just so relaxing and so amazing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, and I know
2: you're allergic to coconut. Yeah. Right? So, But what I like to do, and this is when I'm being bad. You see, there's a much bigger cannoli than the cannoli you see today. Yeah. I, I would eat ice cream and all kinds of comfort food because I'm from Michigan. Uh-huh. But one thing that put my cravings in check, I take a little cocoa whip. Yeah. I put it on top of this oh, golden that's nice. tea. Okay. It is the best drink yeah. at
0: night you could ever have. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm intolerant. I'm not allergic. So I did try it. It just makes me feel stressed. But I found that you know, if I don't overdo it, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to have everybody try Organifi Gold because we all need to sleep deep and pay attention to what our soul tells us while we dream so we can work together to Mm -hmm. make this world a beautiful place for everybody and get our freedom back and get rid of the toxins in the government and other things we need to do.
1: And now, for a limited time, Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice is back. All the goodness of regular Organifi Gold with the flavors of fall. Pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, and allspice. Go to Organifi.com forward slash Check 20 and use the code CHECK20 to get 20% off your order of Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice. That's organifi.com forward slash CHECK20 and the code is CHEK20 to get 20% off your order. Sleep well. Then we have to deal with the conscious
0: and the unconscious. Our conscious mind is only about, depending on which study you read, between three and 7% of the total flow of consciousness through us, the rest of it's unconscious. Bruce Lipton says that the unconscious mind has about a million times the processing power of the conscious mind, and said simply, the unconscious contains everything that we know but have forgotten about or experienced but can't remember from the time of our inception. So the mind downloads a vast amount of information. Physiology texts, say that we process in our central nervous system uh, somewhere between nine and 30 billion bits of information a second, depending on which book you read, but the brain and nervous system selects between 10 and 100 bits per second that the conscious mind focuses on. So whether you take the nine billion or the 30 billion bits of information a second and give you a reference point, a type written page is about 1000 bits of information. So 30 billion bits of information a second, we'll call that an Encyclopedia Britannica, a second running through your nervous system, the brain selects 10 to 100, which it focuses on, most of which it thinks are essential for survival based on our instincts and our um, you know, evolutionary drives, reptilian drives, which is, look at the Triune Mind by Paul McLean, and you'll find that the brainstem is really much the same as a reptilian a creature's brain, and there it thinks, Am I safe? If I'm safe, it's time to eat. Once I'm safe and I've eaten, then it's time to procreate. So anything that threatens our reptilian drives or addresses those drives is what the brain's looking for. And that's one of the reasons it's very important to keep yourself healthy because if you haven't created safety for yourself by common sense management of money, food, and the things that uh, allow us to feel safe in the world, and we're not eating real food, then if we have the urge to procreate, we create stress for ourselves because we're bringing new life into an environment that's unfavorable for life itself, which creates a tremendous amount of stress and will ultimately burn you out because you're in a state of fear all the time at a very deep primal level. So there's a tip for you focus first on what is my dream and how do I create safety and security in my life by managing these four doctors and managing things like money effectively and contributing to the world so that I have a job and using my creativity. How do I deal with food and water so that I'm nourishing my body so that my body is not in a state of stress? Because if it is, it'll commandeer your creative mind and bring it down into a survival reflex and then your energy will be spent on survival behaviors. And anytime you're in a survival behavior, your right brain shuts down because you cannot trust novel creative ideas when you're in the middle of a stressful situation, which is why I say it's a bad time to throw in a cartwheel if you're running from a lion, it'll get you killed. So whenever we're under too much stress because we're not caring for our body and our immediate physical needs based on those reptilian reflexes, then we have a high level of adrenaline and cortisol, which puts us into our left brain as a fight or flight response, And over time, that'll burn us out because whenever we're left brain dominant due to stressful means, we're sympathetically overstimulated. Our fight or flight system is activated and that inhibits our parasympathetic system, which is our digest, eliminate, regenerate and repair system. It's strongest at night and it correlates with our anabolic hormones. So if we're in too much of a state of fight or flight because we're not meeting our core survival needs... And what we do is we burn ourselves out physically, emotionally, and mentally, and ultimately spiritually. And then we often turn to drugs or doctors who will medicate the problem but not address these issues that I'm talking about here because they're very, very important. Now, at the conscious level, we have an ego. We express ourselves in the world with what is recalled to, in the Greek conception, our persona, which means the mask we wear to the party, which I'll explain in a minute. And whenever we have an ego or a persona, we also have a shadow. We have the parts of ourselves that we can't see, that we're unwilling to look at. And to the degree that we're unconscious of our shadow, unfortunately others are not. So if we think we're nice, but we're an asshole to people, then they will respond to us with the truth that we can't see and we'll wonder why our relationships are always challenging and that can burn us out so part of spiritual development is taking feedback from people you trust and people you love and looking carefully and this is why at night with dr quiet we have to have time for self-reflection and ask ourselves did i love well today was i fair today was i honest in my relationships did i hurt people how could i do better And that's ultimately how we grow spiritually and learn to love more and evolve in our capacity to give and receive love. Remember, 95 plus percent of us is unconscious. So we're not aware of our programming and our unconscious behaviors. And therefore, usually in the first half of our life, we find ourselves repeatedly in challenges and relationships and eventually can come into a midlife crisis because it seems like you know things just aren't working and we just don't have the energy to maintain all these challenging relationships or maybe we're not doing what we love to do and we're burned out but we don't know how to get out of it. But <clears throat> what I'm trying to point to here is that shadow work is a very, very important part of uh, decreasing how much Energy, we're burning up and getting entangled in all these caught up relationships with our self, persons, places, and things. And one of the fastest ways you can start alleviating yourself of the shadow burden is to look carefully at your own judgments against self and other. Because ultimately, if God is source, then there's nothing here but God. So there's a spiritual perspective. Therefore, the people that are challenging you or even criticizing you are giving you an opportunity to see a perspective of yourself and of life and of other people's ways of relating that give you a more expanded viewpoint and allow you to see God from different perspectives. And remember, all of this thing we call life is God's mode of self-reflection so that it can come to know itself. And the word enlightenment means you come to realize the truth of yourself and what God is, and therefore what everyone else is, and that all of it is God in the process of a love relationship with itself. And we all know, I hope by now, that wherever you have love, you have responsibility. So, one of the things that we have to learn to do is take responsibility for ourselves for listening to our heart using our creative impulses to create what we want in our life and in our relationships, and working with others who share values with us to do the same, and then you feel that sense of love growing and expanding. But by looking at where our judgments are, we can ask ourselves, is it really true? Would God really burn me in hell? Well, that would mean God would burn itself in hell, which makes for a very unintelligent God. So there's a very good question to ask because once you realize that that isn't really true, then think of all the stress that alleviates and how much energy that liberates. So the point here is just look at your judgments against yourself, ask, is it really true? And if it is true, then say, how can I live and love more fully starting now? And that's the beginning of the liberation of your life force energy out of an entangled state into a state of free energy, which is ultimately what vitality is. And one of the hallmarks of an enlightened person is they don't sweat the small stuff. They know this too shall pass, that everything from wars to battles to financial stress is temporary and that we can always use our creativity to create a better option for ourselves and to be more congruent with the needs of the environment that we're in. So looking at our judgments of self and other and being honest with the answer, is it true? And then the way I like to handle this is to say, how can I do at least one percent better each day? So if I find that the feedback I'm getting is that I'm too judgmental of other people, then can I be at least 1% less judgmental each day and focus on one way, even if it's less judgmental with myself because the way you love yourself is the measure of how you love others, then within 100 days, I'm 100% less judgmental with myself, which means I'm quite liberated. One of the things that burns people out is trying too hard at their spiritual development, trying to change everything all at once, completely change religions, um, walking out of an important relationship instead of working on it and having to start all over and go through the same stuff all over and again. And if you're too aggressive with yourself in your own spiritual development, you'll get control fatigue and you'll burn out. So this is why I like the concept of just 1% to 3% growth a day. 1% percent's enough because most of us are creative enough that we'll find that even if we just acknowledge that we have the power to change and that we don't change, then we can wait till we're ready to change and know that we enacted our free will. For example, if you're addicted to cigarettes or you're addicted to alcohol, you can simply look at it before you drink it. know it's not doing good for you. It's causing challenges in your relationships and say, I have the power to not drink alcohol, but today I'm going to choose to drink it. Then you're exercising your own free will and you're accepting responsibility for your creative agency and what you create. And then each day you say, I have the power to change. I have the power not to drink this alcohol, but today I choose to. There will come a day when you realize that you're ready to make the change and that's the day you begin to exercise your creative ability and you start your growth process, but it might take you a week a month or a year of using your free will consciously to come to the realization that you are not stuck, that you do have creative agency, that you do have free will, but you have to look consciously at your programming. That urge to drink is the program, but the awareness that you don't have to drink is rising above the programming and creating liberation. So first, recognize you have the power to change. Second, keep reminding yourself so you make the the unconscious habit. Conscious. Third, change when you're ready to change. That way, it's an honest change that's inspired by your love and by your free will, not by changing because somebody else wants you to change or demands that you change. Because whenever we're dealing with things like addictions, what happens is when you change for the wrong reasons, such as external force or external leverage then we typically find that people just trade one addiction for the other. So now you're not an alcoholic, you're a workaholic. Or you're not an alcoholic, you're a sex addict, etc., etc. Now when it comes to emotions, Jung makes the point that most emotions are in relationship to our values. So if our values are being trespassed, it triggers an emotional response in us. So... For example, if if it's our value that we pray before we eat our food at night, but your partner is just jumping right in, it might trigger an emotional response of disrespect for God or disrespect for life or disrespect for the beings that have sacrificed their life for us. And that could cause a negative emotion. So, in a nutshell, Jung's approach to emotions is that a lot of our emotions are the response to trespasses, or congruence with. Happy, positive emotions would be congruent with our values. Negative would be trespasses of our values. But then we also have the fact, and this has been known in Chinese medicine for a long time, and you can study the book, How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett, which is very, very good and very up-to-date research. But what we've learned from the study of human anatomy and physiology is that each of our key organs has and glands has a lot of contribution to the emotions we feel. So we know emotions around love are heart-centered. In Chinese medicine, anger is stored in the liver. Anxiety is in the small intestine, and grief is in the lungs. So whenever we have poor health of a given gland, organ, or system, we're likely to have emotions emerging in us that mirror back the state of that gland or organ. So our physical health is very important to our emotional stability, our clarity of values, which goes back to these four doctors and having a clear dream. So your values are dream affirmative supports us so that we know who we harmonize with. And when we're working with people to create something bigger than ourselves, then we have community, we have tribe, we have love circulating, and that brings life force energy into us. Love is extremely powerful. One of the key things too is that a lot of people spend so much time in a state of fear or angst or anxiety or worry that they stop breathing effectively. If we put one hand on our belly and one hand on our chest, we should always work consciously to make sure that we practice breathing so that with each inhalation, the first two thirds comes from expansion of the belly and that the chest only moves in the last one third of the breath or we're not using our diaphragm properly, which means in order to oxygenate the body, we have to hyperventilate. We have to breathe faster to get more shallow breaths, which stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, which triggers a fight or flight reaction, which releases adrenaline and cortisol, keeps our system wound up and over excited inhibits our parasympathetic, which then inhibits our capacity for rest regeneration and right brain activity and learning and growth. So we want to pay attention to the fact that our breathing is a mirror of our mind. So first we got to remember our dreaming is what gives us the ability to recognize ourselves in relationship, which creates mind and mind is what we use to create our dreams consciously or unconsciously, preferably consciously. And if our mind is not being managed effectively, in other words, we're not asking ourselves, is this thought or is this way of speaking or is this way of expressing myself congruent with my values and my relationships or is it antagonistic to then we're basically being taken over by our mind and often acting out unconscious programming, which is usually, sadly, the negative qualities of mom and dad because they're the deepest in our nervous system and our mind. So one of the ways you can identify some good shadow work is just write down the four positive and four negative qualities of your mother and the four positive and four negative qualities of your father and then look, and ask friends in relationship, which of these qualities do you see me displaying fairly frequently? And go to people you've had challenges in relationship and say, do I display any of these negative qualities of my mother or father? And you'll find quite commonly that the very things that drove you nuts about your mom and dad are exactly what's creating problems in your relationship with friends, family, coworkers, lovers, and spouses and children. And then you can become awakened, become conscious to what's in your unconscious, and then start working to be more aware of when you're being aloof or when you're not engaging emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that will liberate a lot of our energy. And whenever we take a conscious relationship with our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, then we begin to have an expanded capacity for self-regulation which gives us a greater sense of control, which means with greater sense of control, we're more likely to effectively create our dreams, effectively work in relationships, effectively create what we want in life. And as we do that, we become more aware of our self-agency and we have a higher level of self-esteem, which means we're less anxious and less nervous and we have less of a story gap. Therefore, the story we're telling ourselves on the inside is congruent with the story we're telling each other or others. And that brings us into a state where we're much more energetically efficient and less likely to be spent. Okay. Hi guys, Paul here. Forgive me for interrupting this amazing podcast, but I do have something to share that I think you'll all want to know about. Check Inside is a free education jackpot you do not want to miss out on. Would you like... A free tour inside the world's most holistic education system? I would imagine you would. Check Inside offers anyone the opportunity to take sample lessons from all of our online courses. It's a great way for health and fitness professionals to preview our courses and to add to their knowledge and coaching skills and toolkit. Check Inside is free for everyone. Check Inside provides access to these lessons through November 27th on our e-learning platform. Participants will be able to select lessons from our online courses, including Integrated Movement Science 1, which is also online, and Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2 online, which is our professional course for training professional holistic lifestyle coaches. You'll learn techniques like squat assessment pec minor assessment and stretching techniques, and the Swiss ball hip flexor stretch. You'll add to your knowledge base with in-depth lectures on topics such as muscle sling systems, cortisol, fascia and water, and the triune brain. Check Inside participants can also add the courses they like to a wish list for Black Friday sales, where they can save up to 30% on courses of their choice. Check Inside is open now. To register, go to C-H-E-K dot group, G-R-O-U-P, forward slash inside, that's chek.group, forward slash Inside, I have put my heart and soul into all Czech Institute education and the Czech Academy, and now is your chance to take advantage of my life's work for free. Share it with anyone you know that wants authentic, no BS health and fitness wisdom that can help you look, feel, and perform and live more fully. Once again, that's Check C-H-E-K, dot, group, forward slash, inside. Enjoy. Check Inside. Now, at the physical level, it's important that matter is basically spirit moving slowly enough for us to interact with it. Remember, matter is energy and information. It's just concentrated. Some experts in consciousness say that matter is the condensation of consciousness. And what is consciousness? It's really God dreaming. So matter is the materialization of God's own dream, which is existence itself. It's what I call spirit, Jim, in my new book series because that's where we grow spiritually and where God experiences itself spiritually. Now, when we look at that, there's something very important about matter. Remember, only God or source can give a soul, because what is a soul? It's God in us as a conscious agent. It is the I of us. When we say, I am, or I am hungry, we are actually saying, God in me is or God in me is hungry, because the I, that is what you're using to perceive my voice right now, which would be the subject in you, is actually the subject of God, perceiving the object as something other than itself, which creates duality, which allows mind to have some traction. And therefore, we use mind to divide everything up and name it and label it, so that we can identify things, because we didn't have a mind, then we'd be like a child that thinks the couch is its body and pees and poops all over the place because it doesn't know the difference. We know that a child's developing an ego and a sense of self when it begins to use the word I or the word no. If you put food in front of a child's mouth and it says no mommy or no daddy, it means it now recognizes it's different than the food and it begins to exercise self-agency. So, The point is is that mind is a cutting tool that creates the illusion of separation to allow us to make meaning out of anything that we're engaging. And without a sense of meaning, then life becomes relatively unlivable and that burns people out. So your dream and your goals for creating your dream are essentially meaning-making and meaning is what allows spirit to flow through us. If I ask you to do something meaningless for hours and hours at a time, your vitality will drop, I can assure you. Ask many people that work on assembly lines, for example, or clean hotel rooms and do things that are relatively uncreative and not meaning-making for them. They often have a high rate of addiction and uh, need to create fulfillment in other ways. But the key point is only God can create a soul. A soul is God dreaming itself into existence, and because God is ultimately unconditional love, we have a paradox. The soul can never be satiated by matter, because matter is just a thing. It's an encapsulation of a minute amount of spirit that creates persons, places, things, but let's call them objects, tables, cars, watches, phones, etc., So the key point that I'm driving at here, and Plotinus, about 1700 years ago, warned us that the soul's greatest addiction is to matter. Why? Because the soul, in its authentic state of unconditional love, is unconditional. It cannot see or experience itself. So once the soul is exposed to matter, it begins to be veiled. And so the body is veiling the soul. You can't see the eye of you. You say... When, if you say to me, if I, if I ask you, um, who are you? You say, I am. And I say, well, who is the I? Many people have a very hard time answering that question. That's one of the key things that yogis do is identify who is it that the I is. Well, ultimately, well, if you've been listening, you'll figure it out. But the reality of it is, is that the I in you is unconditional love. It's what's witnessing everything. It's witnessing the phenomenon that happens through mind, time, and relationship, and that's how it becomes to become aware of what it is. So we're all God experiencing itself. The key point, though, is that because the soul is like an artist that needs a canvas and some paints in order to express its creativity, if the soul doesn't have matter, it has no way to identify itself. So without a long metaphysical description, what happens is we, shall we say, create bodies together. We dream them up. And this is, you know, Steiner goes into this in great depth of how this happens, but, you know, we dream ourselves up all the time. All you gotta do is go to a gym and watch people that come in overweight, out of shape, call it maybe fat. And then four months later, they're trim and look great. And you say, my God, you look so amazing. It's very impressive what you did, but they dreamed themselves up. So they dreamed themselves and then set goals and they use their creative agency to make a change. So you can see that they have this creative agency. The point I'm making, though, is that the soul is needing something physical to say, I am. Here I am. Hello. Look at this. This is amazing. But the problem is, is that the soul can fall so deeply into matter that it begins to think that matter is what is most important because that's how it identifies itself. So the spiritual path and the path of the alchemists was to extract the spirit or consciousness out of matter to realize that you're wearing a body like an actor wears a persona, a mask, or a costume to play a role right? Superman isn't really Superman. It's a person acting out a role. And so we're all acting out a role in this divine play. And the problem is, is that the soul gets addicted to matter, not realizing that it is an icon. It is a symbol. Nothing material is the actual thing. This is why Plato speaks of archetypes. Trees are all expressions of the idea of a tree. All mothers are really God-mothering. So your mother is actually a symbol of the divine feminine, and your father is an archetype or a symbol or an icon of the divine masculine having an experience as a mother or a father. So the key point is, is if we're too overly oriented to matter, we can find ourselves constantly identifying ourselves by how much stuff we have, how much money we have, so we can buy more stuff. And... You don't have to have been around for too long to see that movie stars, rock stars, famous musicians, famous athletes, and people with lots of money that can buy everything they want. Elton John, making $10 million a year, spent himself into uh, bankruptcy. So what you see is that people that are not on the spiritual path keep trying to fill the soul with material things, And that can become very stressful and that leads to exhaustive capitalism and we're in a state right now where we're extracting so much matter out of the world to try to fill what can only ultimately be filled with love because the soul can only be satiated by what it is and it is God love. It's God's love and it's unconditional love. Therefore, the ultimate food for the soul is any act of unconditional love And when we're in the experience of anybody that loves us without putting conditions on us, we feel the flow of spirit. We feel the flow of love. We feel the energy of love. When our mother loves us unconditionally and fully accepts us, we feel loved and we feel energized and we feel alive. So the key thing about being spent, especially on Black Friday, is you're buying a bunch of stuff when really what you need is more love, more connection, and a dream worth living for, You can find yourself living off of credit cards, broke and having a cool car, cool leather pants, and a cool watch and a cool phone, on the inside feeling very, very empty and very, very spent. So we've taken a brief look now at the uh, spiritual, the mental, the emotional, and the physical. Now I'm gonna tie it together with a few key concepts. Let's look at Steiner's conception of the cross. Notice the cross is planted in the earth. So we have to say, well, the first thing is we all are creatures of the earth and the soil is the source of life. It's the soil that plants grow out of. It's the soil that supports all animal life and most animals, if they're not eating each other, are eating plants and the animals that are eating each other couldn't exist without the animals that ate the plants because they would have nothing to eat. So the soil has to be healthy And if we're eating food from toxic soils and imbalanced soils, which is most of the food eaten in the world, only four to 6% of the food eaten in the world is organic, then we're eating poisonous toxic soil, which is killing the environment and killing us and devitalizing us. So one of the most important things is if you're gonna buy food, it's gotta come from organic clean soils or you're not getting vital nutrition that keeps you alive and gives you life force energy. So the soil is the source in which the the cross is planted, and Steiner says from the soil to the horizontal beam of the cross represents the plant kingdom. The plant kingdom is very, very important because plants, A, have regenerative abilities that animals and humans don't. You cut a finger off, you lose it. You cut a leaf off a plant, it'll grow another one. So plants have a lot of regenerative power which they give to us when we eat them. Just to give you more on the cross, and I'll tell you something that Rumi says in a poem that's quite profound, we have the bottom of the cross here up to the horizontals of the plant kingdom. The horizontal aspect of the cross represents the animal spine, which is horizontal, so its relationship to the earth is very earth-oriented. We stand up and look up at the stars and we start questioning where do we come from. Animals typically don't sit with their legs crossed, meditating looking at the stars, asking big questions like that. And then from above the horizontal is the human being or the human head, which has this capacity for self-reflection and for a higher level of creativity. So Rumi says in one of his poems quite beautifully, God sleeps in the minerals, dreams in the plants, moves in the animals and realizes himself in man, which is quite profound because there's a lot of truth to that if you've been listening to everything I'm saying. That's essentially what I'm saying. Now, we have this amazing conception of the cross. Now, if you look at the cross face on, the left horizontal beam would represent the past. The center where the two beams intersect would represent now, or the present, and the right extension of the horizontal would be the future. So one of the ways we burn ourselves out is what I call pasteurizing or futurizing ourselves. If we're always thinking about what happened in the past, he hurt me, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, if only I could have, should have, would have, that's called pasteurizing. Remember, to pasteurize something means you kill all the enzymes, which means it's dead. It has no life force in it. That's called driving with your eyes in the rear view mirror. That's a good way to crash. And if you're always looking back, you're not living in the present, so you're actually never present, which is a great way to bang into things, make your life more complicated, get yourself injured, and burn yourself out. If you're always living for the future, and everything you're doing is always to make something happen tomorrow, then you're not living in the present either, which means that you're not even living in this domain or dimension. Which like Ram Dass said, be here now. So, in the middle of the cross is the intersection where the vertical dimension of the spirit realm, the eternal realm, where everything is actually in the eternal now, God is timeless. There's no beginning or end to God, but God creates the illusion of time so that everything isn't happening all at once, or you cannot become conscious of anything. God could not be conscious of itself, nor could God have any experience and know it without time. So the key thing is living in the now, asking yourself about your stories about the past, is it really true? And How can I make meaning out of that to help me live and love more fully in the present? And what can I do now in order to live fully so that my future is a reflection of my practice of living now, not existing for what will come or walking around in sad sacks because of what happened in the past. Um, It is often said that depression is the fear that tomorrow will be like yesterday and anxiety is the fear of tomorrow. So we, we, in other words, if you're depressed, you think everything that is coming is going to be the same. And if you're anxious, it means that you're afraid that what's coming might be more of what you don't want. So we want to live in the present because we're really in the present. Then we have an opportunity to change in whatever direction we want to go to live our dream and create and and, uh, succeed in the unfoldment of our goals, our realistic steps towards being who we want to be and living the life we want to live. So that is important because here in the vertical dimension, everything's happening at once in the eternal now, that's the spirit realm, but it's pouring itself into time through each of us. This is one of the reasons we have a brain. It's actually a filtering mechanism to allow us to filter out whatever is deemed unimportant for our survival, but also by our conscious mind because we have to think about what we're creating and we can't be pulled into the past or the future or we cannot create effectively in the now. And when you think about the use of power tools and automobiles and weapons and things like that, if you're not present, you can hurt yourself or kill others. So the key point here is that we burn ourselves out by living in the past and pasteurizing ourselves or living so much in the future, we avoid the opportunity to live and love fully in the present. So a great practice is to do things where you can pay attention to what you're creating in the now, which is one of the reasons I love art so much, because I have to be very present with what I'm doing or it won't. Really, be an authentic expression of what I'm inspired to express as art. I love stacking rocks and doing things that have no outcome objective because I have to pay very close attention to what I'm doing because the act of creating with rocks I use great big heavy stones can get me hurt if I'm not in the present and every time I've ever hurt myself lifting rocks it's because my mind was wandering or my ego got too much of me and I was trying to rush or trying to make something to impress myself or others, and so I learned to just be in the act of creativity without putting any qualifiers on it, just to go out and have unbound play. So one of the ways to start healing yourself from a lack of energy and being spent all the time is to create time each day just to have unbound play. Playing a game and not caring whether you win or lose, but just doing it for fun. getting involved in a sport do your best but don't take yourself prisoner if you didn't win just do your best each day be in the present and enjoy it painting like i said drawing making music is a beautiful thing to do don't worry about how good you are just create for the joy of creating and be present with what you're creating in the moment and you will find yourself being revitalized i find this is an extremely important part of my life because i'm a very driven person and so I have to be conscious that when I'm with my children that I don't get too objective all the time or it's always judgment 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 and so my kids have taught me a lot about you know not having an attachment you know my my daughter likes to make her dolls up a million ways and I just enjoy that with her and my son likes to build things and have fun and do stuff with legos and if I you know, try to get too involved in saying, well, that doesn't really look much like an airplane, then I'm killing the fun of it all. This is why Steiner says a lot of most parents shouldn't play with children because they don't know how to play and they put so much judgment in it, it makes play stressful to the kids. So we can pull a page out. Remember, we've got a child in us that we need to keep alive too because our child is an open-minded beginner's mind that's always exploring and learning and not judging. So we want to learn to liberate ourselves from constant judgment and being trapped in the past or future by giving ourselves time each day or regularly for unbound play where there's no outcome measure, and it's just an act of creativity, and it feels amazing, okay? So now I want to point out also the plant kingdom is very important. So if you think of this Tai Chi symbol as the flower of a plant, plants use photosynthesis to capture sunlight and turn it into carbohydrate, fats, and proteins and things that we can use to rebuild our body. But we don't have an organ of photosynthesis, so we rely on the plant kingdom. We have organs to detoxify. We have organ to move blood through our body, we have organs for um, uh, breathing, and we have a brain for thinking, but we don't have an organ that captures sunlight and turns it into energy, or we probably wouldn't need to eat. So the plants are really, as Ibrahim Karim says, the external organ of photosynthesis. So making sure that we're getting enough plants to bring enough vitality and life force energy into us is important. And eating as much raw food as you comfortably can is important because the more you cook food, the more you kill the enzymes, the more you damage the nutrients and the more devitalized it becomes. That's not to say that all cooking is bad, but we need enzymes, we need minerals, vitamins, cofactors, um, phenolics, terpenes, alkaloids, and many of those things are damaged by the cooking and processing of food. So we wanna remember that the plant kingdom is our external organ of photosynthesis and that the more healthy plants from healthy soil we eat in as raw a state as possible, the more life force energy we have and a lot of people's illnesses and fatigue are coming from devitalized food straight up. And then of course, we wanna eat animals that are raised in a humane way that are also in a clean environment because whatever we eat, becomes part of us. Remember, you are what you eat and you are what you don't excrete. So if you're eating toxins that your body cannot get rid of because you don't have the nutrition on board to run your detoxification pathways, your body will store that toxin, those toxins in fat to protect your central nervous system, your glands and your organs. Then if all of a sudden you go on a diet and you have to burn that fat, but you don't have the resources on board that can damage your liver, it can sclerose your liver. So we wanna make sure that if we're gonna eat plants and animals that they're coming from clean environments where they're healthy and they got to live a healthy vital life and then we can bring their health vitality and bring that spirit into us and that spirit then joins us so instead of killing the plant or the animal it joins us merges with us and becomes human which is quite an upgrade for most plants or animals as long as we live a life of love and use that vitality to help make the world a better place for all living beings now and in the future. Otherwise, we're just consuming plants and animals to cope with our lack of participation in our life and our lack of willingness to love self, love other, and make the world more beautiful for all, and therefore a good experience for God itself. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to tell you about Wild Pastures' amazing meat delivery service. They have beef, chicken, pork, and wild caught fish. My family and I have been enjoying their meat for quite some time now. And I just couldn't wait to tell you about it any longer. We had an amazing barbecue this weekend and I'm still high off the meat. And they use a whole network of regenerative farms, which means that you're getting a different ecosystem from each farm, which means a different nutritional profile, which means nutritional diversity, which means health and vitality which is exactly what we need right now in the world for ourselves and our families so we can all make a difference in the world. And Matt Smith's gonna tell us more about this amazing company, Wild Pastures, about
3: their offering and how you can get it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much, Paul. And I'm excited to tell your listeners what they can get today and how we can help them out. So you know, as you know, pastured meats are crazy expensive. And so our goal with wild pastures is to tap into this network of regenerative farmers and to finally create the solution of where we can get the highest quality meats delivered straight to your door for the most affordable prices around. And so we're on average seeing that we are 40% cheaper than any other delivery option out there. And that our customers have reportedly saved on average a thousand dollars on their grocery bill from meat alone. And so while pastures is a regenerative meat delivery service that is solving this problem. And you can get 100% grass fed and finished as well as pasture raised pork and poultry and wild caught seafood from Alaska delivered straight to your door. So it's far more convenient. It's far more environmentally friendly because we're using regenerative farms entirely. We don't use feedlots ever. So the the nutrition profiles are way better. You can definitely taste the difference. I know we were talking about this on our Uh, Just before we hopped on, you have a Father's Day barbecue and and how incredible the pasture-raised chicken and beef short ribs were. And you can really taste the difference, right? I'm still high. (laughs) And so our goal is to remove the roadblock from people's minds that if they want to eat healthy, it's too expensive. And so that's where Wild Pastures comes in, is we are delivering with our own fleets of trucks whenever possible. We haven't raised our meat prices in over three years at this point. And we're really just creating convenience for the consumer and kind of being the high tide that rises all ships. If we can opt more people into a system like this, the cost stays down for everybody. And so there is a myriad of benefits that go into that. And so today, if your listeners want to try Wild Pastures and taste the difference and experience what it's like, go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul Check or click the link in the show notes and save 20% off for life, plus get free shipping for life plus get $15 off your first box.
0: That's a mind-blowing deal. I can't even <laughs> imagine. I mean, I've never heard of an offer like that. And you know, most people would hear an offer like that and think this can't be that good, but I'm telling you it's not it's not only that good, it's really good or I would not be sharing this on my podcast. I think everybody needs to get a hold of Wild Pastures for their family, for their vitality, for their longevity and for the future of this planet. So thank you guys very
3: much. So, Matt, Matt, just repeat the website again. Sure. Just go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul check, or visit the link in the show notes and get 20% off for life plus free shipping for life plus $15 off your first box so you can try it. You'll be glad you did.
0: Now, if we want to take a look at these four quadrants, as I said in the beginning, this is how spirit unfolds itself. They're very important, and each one of them has secrets about why people are so spent. The upper left-hand quadrant, so if you're not able to see the diagram, if you take a box, just imagine a sheet of paper with a cross on it, so you have four quadrants, an upper left, an upper right, a lower left, a lower right. The upper left quadrant is the, uh, the personal interior, which is the domain of our soul, or our inner consciousness, which is where we hold our myth, conscious or unconscious, which is our story that we tell ourselves and others about who we are and why we're here. And this is where our dream is, and this is where our values reside, and this is what inspires the choices we make. This is also where our story carries our beliefs. I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, etc. Those are all key aspects of our story. So in the upper left-hand quadrant, remember to the degree that the story we tell ourselves does not match the story we tell others, we will get tired and eventually get sick and ultimately die. If we are so out of touch with ourselves and we have such a huge story gap that we can't love ourselves any then suicide, is not unusual. So the, the upper left quadrant really is, is the quadrant of our inner world, and that's the invisible realm of spirit within us. The upper right quadrant is the actor so the upper left represents our myth or our story and the upper right quadrant is our physical expression that's where we show up on the stage as an actor and that is related to the health of our body the fitness of our body and the actions so the upper right quadrant is anything weighable or measurable we can film people's actions we can film people's behaviors So this is where we participate as the actor in our own story. And so to the degree that we lack health and fitness, then our actions are likely to not be congruent with being creative and creating the story and engaging the relationships we want, but we go into survival mode and we're constantly uh, trying to deal with some kind of stress that's devitalizing us and thus we risk being spent And our body is based on the elements earth, water, fire, and air. So earth, again, if we we don't eat from healthy, clean soils, we're in trouble. If the water we drink is devitalized and dead from sitting in plastic and metal pipes for God knows how long and coming from sewage treatment centers and uh, plastic bottles, then we're probably going to Um, lose vitality because healthy water from nature is full of vitality, energy, and water turns out to be a carrier of consciousness. And if you haven't listened to my podcast on water with Isabel Friend, it's fantastic. And also my podcast on water with Dolph Zantinga. And you can learn about the Analemma Water One, which is a system, very simple system for vitalizing water. So if our water is not clean and vital, we will devitalize ourselves, and we can become spent very easily. And remember, the food we eat is about 70% water. So if you're eating food from commercial factory farms, and you're eating processed food that's devitalized, then the water in it is also devitalized and dead and toxic. Fire is our metabolism, so if we don't get enough exercise and breathe well, and we don't use our mind in positive ways that our metabolism will mirror that back to us. And so the sicker we are, the more toxic we get, the more we are likely to have a decrease in our metabolic energy and the de- lack of exercise will decrease our metabolism as well. Exercise stimulates metabolism, positive thinking and being active in the world stimulates metabolism and eating well and having a clean diet and eating vitalized foods stimulates our metabolism, which is the fire element within us. And that's why the nerve plexus that's largely responsible for digestion and elimination is called the solar plexus, the sun plexus, because it's taking the sunlight from plants and animals that we eat and converting it into warmth and energy in our body. And Steiner shows you that's the warmth of metabolism that allows us to think. Dead people are cold and they don't think. So paradoxically, you can see that as you get very, very cold and go hypothermic, you can't think very well. But if you're getting hotter and hotter, your mind can start to get agitated. So we want to realize that keeping our body temperature consistent by making sure we're not eating a bunch of things that inflame our body and make it swell up is important to the stability of our mind as well. And air, is obvious, we have to breathe. We breathe on average 25,900 breaths a day. Breath is, oxygen's the most vital nutrient for our survival. You can go uh, longer without water and food than you can without air, making oxygen critical. And if the air is dirty and toxic, then you're in the same trouble as if you're breathing or eating toxic uh, food and drinking toxic water. And if we don't breathe well, then we usually need to look carefully at our mind or unresolved structural injuries that could be disrupting our ability to breathe. So just to review, the upper left is the domain of your inner world, your soul, your inner thoughts, and your beliefs, and your beliefs are what direct your actions. Your actions determine the health of your body, the fitness of your body, and how you balance the elements, earth, water, fire, and air, which either makes you a healthy person or a devitalized person, an inspired person, or somebody that's struggling to survive. feels that life is a burden. Okay, Now, if we go to the lower left quadrant, this is the inner domain of the cast and the crew. We are all the star in our own story, our own myth, and we're always the leading actor, but we cannot live life and have love without relationships, nor can we grow mentally or spiritually or emotionally. So over here is the cast and the crew, and that's your soul group. That's the people you create with or who are challenging you. These are what we call our people, our tribe. Or if I said to you, who are your people? Most people would know. Like my wife, my kids, my family, my friends, my coworkers We might say those are our people. They're part of our story. And every story has to have antagonists or it just goes flat. So there's always polarity to make any good story. Look at all the movies out there. They've always got protagonists, antagonists. There's always a villain and a good guy. You know, There's all the archetypal ingredients of a good story, and we are surrounded by them, and we are them for each other. And what holds the cast and crew together is love, and if there's not enough love, then you have an antagonist or an enemy, which then inspires spiritual growth because it gives you an opportunity to learn how to listen better, communicate better, share values, find common dreams, and work together through um, heartfelt and high intentions with negotiation, which is lacking in the world. Now, the cast and the crew all meet you, the actor, so the people's stories that we're in relationships with in our story Their bodies show up on stage, our body shows up in stage, so the lower right quadrant is the world stage. It's the domain of the persons, places, things, systems, and the environment, which is the theater of life. And here we have to be conscious of the ECHO that we create. It's a concept I created many years ago to teach my students about the importance of understanding how life works. ECHO stands for Energy, Chemistry, Hydration, and Organisms. So we have to be very conscious of how we manage energy in the environment because we're destructive in the environment, then we end up eating, drinking, breathing, and living in it. If we create dangerous energy such as 5G, read the book The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg and get ready to have your mind blown when you see just how much has been kept secret about the damage caused by electricity, radio, radar, cell phone communications, etc. Chemistry, we have to be conscious of the chemistry because our bodies are biologically based in chemistry. You've got about 30 billion, billion biochemical reactions a second in the body, all of which are water dependent. So there's another point about water, but our diet and our unique needs in diet has everything to do with our chemistry. Some people do well on tomatoes. I don't, they're too acidic for my body. They make me tired and make me not feel good. Nightshades, For example, I don't do well on peppers, potatoes. I have to eat those carefully or, again, feel tired. My mind gets foggy, my body aches, and I start swelling up. So everything that we put into our body from air to food to water and to chemicals in the environment affects our chemistry and whatever we're doing to the environment, such as using herbicides, pesticides, rodenticides, fungicides, glyphosate, um, Nuclear waste, chemical waste that's not being managed, that's all coming back into us. And then whenever, as we begin more devitalized and less conscious, we start doing more destructive things in nature, like wars. And then the organisms, Well, our next is hydration. We have to make sure we're getting adequate amounts of clean, vitalized water, but we've destroyed most of the water on the planet by not being conscious of the echo we're creating. And finally, the organisms that we eat, which is what I said has a huge impact on our chemistry. So whatever we do to nature, the pendulum swings back we do to ourselves. okay? If you dump poison in your backyard and your kid's playing it, they'll get sick and die. If you dump poison in your body, you're going to get sick and you might die. If we take care of our bodies, we become more conscious and more aware And then we naturally want to support the environment because the two of us need each other. We can't live without each other. So when we're dealing with the world stage, we've gotta be conscious of the echo in our environment because the more unconscious we are of the energy, chemistry, hydration, and organisms we put into ourselves and how we manage them outside of ourselves, the more fatigued we get, the more ill we get, the more stressed we get, the less creative we get, and the more life loses its meaning, and the less capacity we have to give and receive love because we're just hanging on for dear life. And there's no creativity at that point. And the more devitalized we get, the more of a codependent we become. So instead of contributing to the unfolding of creativity, love, dreaming, and building together, we are somebody that has to be cared for by others, which can put a tremendous burden on any family or on our own selves and leave us very fearful. So you can see how just understanding these four quadrants in which spirit unfolds, understanding the true meaning of the Christian cross, we are the earth, we are the plants, we are the animals, and we are the tip of the evolutionary sword, but sometimes you wouldn't know it by the way we manage our echo and how we get caught in the past and living in the future and not being in the present, all of which devitalizes us We have to be careful about any ideas about what God wants or what God is because you can't know that which is unconditional. You can only experience it through acts of love. Anything else is just a story written on paper and it's a great way to get yourself trapped into a belief system, end up with a closed mind and start segregating yourself from other people. And next thing you know, people are no longer people or expressions of God. They're objects you want to eliminate because they're in the way of you following whatever was written on paper by somebody else and you don't realize you're being controlled and losing your agency, your creativity and becoming um, a threat to yourself and to others, which is not love. So tying that all together then, what is your dream? What do you love enough to grow for, to change for and do at least 1% to be better At creating happiness for yourself, moving your body efficiently, eating well, caring for the planet, and sleeping adequately and resting adequately and having time for introspection so that you can be honest with yourself about how you can act out your story in a way that's dream-affirmative life and affirmative and inspiring for the children of the planet who will become the leaders of tomorrow. You might want to think about that when you look at all those drug statistics because Uh, The statistics on the children are just as bad. The two forces, the male, the outgoing, catabolic. Yang is expression and utilization of energy and resources. Yin is accumulation of energy and resources and rebuilding and repairing. So all health and vitality and issues of human health can be boiled down to the balance of outgoing energy and resources with incoming energy resources. Stressing, the body, and having time for it to regenerate and repair. Everything that I do as a therapist boils down to the balance of the male and the female, and everything I've talked about today could ultimately be brought back to that. Then we have three choices, the optimal, which is not only dream affirmative for us, but everybody on our dream team, whoever's working with us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, or we can choose suboptimal choices, which gives instant gratification, but usually causes trouble on our dream team. Or we can choose the middle option, which is do nothing. It's best to call a timeout when you can't stay connected at the heart to people. If you have a disagreement and you're finding yourself losing connection at the heart, and getting separated, getting angry, that's when relationships get damaged and love starts to get ugly at that point. It's not very loving. So calling a timeout and saying, I can't stay connected at the heart right now, let's get back together when we can stay connected at the heart because I love you enough to want to resolve this with you. We can also call a timeout and do nothing when we need more information to make an informed decision. So if you're gonna buy something or you're gonna engage in a medical procedure but you're not sure what the risks are, then say no until you gather the information, look at what is in it, look at what it's about, look at what the research says, and from there, make an informed decision, whether that be a surgery, whether that be a drug, no matter what it is, it's up to you to call a timeout until you're absolutely sure it's dream-affirmative and life-affirmative, or you can find yourself not only devitalized, but injured or dead, as so many people have found, unfortunately. And then the worst choice is to do nothing, which is apathy, which means to not care. And that's when, you're in the worst situation. Apathy basically means that you have really got caught in your story, that you have misunderstood how to create love for yourself and share it with others, and that you're in desperate need of help. And unfortunately, people that live in flatland and aren't creative and get caught in the social drama and get caught in corporate religion and belief systems often become apathetic and end up turning to drugs in hopes of getting themselves out of depression or anxiety and avoiding suicide, which uh, sometimes works, but oftentimes just creates more problems because it makes our body more toxic. And then we have the four doctors. Four doctors build your dreams. Dr. Happiness, what is my dream and what are the values for movement, diet, and quiet that support it? Remember, your yes has no value till you learn to say no. And Without clear values, you don't know when to say no. Without a clear dream, you have no North Star on your compass. And when you're listening to your soul, which is your heartfelt feeling of what you're here to do, that's more important than what your mom tells you, what your dad tells you, what your school's teacher tells you. Because when you're following your heart and doing what you love to do, you're making love every day. And a labor of love is sustainable. Anything else is not sustainable. It leads to a lot of drug use, a lot of addiction, a lot of pain, and a lot of devitalization, and a lot of consumerist capitalism, trying to feed your soul with matter, hoping to feel better. And so far, it's not not only not working, it's killing us and killing the planet. So thank you for joining me today. Again, for those of you that want to see the visuals, go to my YouTube channel, look in the show notes for the link to the video. And let's all work together to use Black Friday to invest in things that are authentic education, that teach us how to live better, how to love better, how to dream better, how to create together, and how to practice true spirituality, which is connecting to a progressively larger whole so that we have a deep realization of and come to the understanding of what it means when we say, I am, who am I really? And what am I really here to do? And what am I really part of? Because when you find that out for yourself, no matter what's going on in the world, you know that you're here as an agent of God consciousness to feed back possibility into the experience of God's self-realization, God's own self-realization, which plays out in these four quadrants. And that cross means that we are all on the cross of time. We are all sacrificing ourself through life, through pain, through the undulations of consciousness, to grow and become and evolve and self-realize. And God can't be more self-realized than you are because no matter what I believe about God or think about God, that's not yours. It's mine. Point being is, the only way you can know God is to know God yourself. And for God to be real, God has to be real in you. It doesn't matter how real God is in me. That's not your experience. I can share about it, I can tell you what I experience, but it's still my story. The paradox of it is is that we're all God experiencing itself and trying to realize itself, and we can only realize that the truth of us is unconditional love, and to the degree that we realize that truth, then we exemplify that by loving as fully as we can and having empathy and compassion for those that are lost and confused in the world Because we know that they're God sleeping. And when we wake up together, we are not spent. We are vital. We are alive. And we are living 4D. And thank you to my sponsors for all your love and support. And thank you to all of you. Anything you buy from the sponsors supports the podcast with a little commission. And that gives me the ability to take the time and do the research and find the guests and share the things that I share with you. And my dream is that we all work together to make the world a little bit Better place each day so the children have an opportunity to live and love fully and create their dreams tomorrow. See you next time. Oh.
1: Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check. For more information on the resources mentioned in this episode, you can read the show notes at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. For more solo cast episodes with Paul, try episodes 18, 20, 22, 24, and 26, featuring Paul's Evolve series, where he talks about how to evolve yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how to evolve your career. Or check out episode 59 with Paul on ancient wisdom and reimagining your health and performance. In episode 151, Paul talks about the people who changed his life, and in episode 164, Paul discusses how to create real health. Episode 241 is a Q&A episode where Paul answers questions sent in by listeners. You can find him on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at check, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4dwithpaulcheck. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at czechinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Organifi, and Paleo Valley, our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures, and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.